The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. It's a very special Thursday edition of Scorebox. We've got Jeff Cutmore leading, myself, Steve Sedgwick and Juliana Tattlebaum. In the meantime, these are your headlines. Shares in Microsoft falling in after hours as investors shrug off forecast-beating numbers and focus on the growing, uh, slowing growth of the software giant's Azure business as the number dips below 50% for the first time ever. But Tesla uh, accelerates in extended trading as the electronic car maker manages to offset factory shutdowns with strong deliveries and post cuts putting in a profit for the fourth straight quarter. We want to be profitable, like I think just we want to be like slightly profitable and maximize growth and make the cars as affordable as possible. That's like what what we're trying to achieve. The Dow closes above 27,000 for the first time since early June as investors cheer a US vaccine deal and progress on stimulus negotiations on Capitol Hill. But sentiment sows in Asia as President Trump warns he may close more Chinese embassies on U.S. soil after giving China 72 hours to close its consulate in Houston, drawing anger from Beijing. As far as uh, closing additional embassies, it's always possible. You see what's going on. Okay, I'm just looking at numbers at Diamond as well. But Roche is out as well. And the first couple of headlines from Roche. First half sales rising. Good morning to you all, by the way. Rose 1% to 29.3 billion Swiss francs. First half of the year, 1% uh, growth at constant exchange rate. Significant impact of COVID-19 pandemic. Group sales increase at 1%. Um, and decline of 4% in Swiss francs as a result of continued appreciation of the Swiss franc against most other currencies as well. Um, there's lots of other bits and pieces in there as well uh, coming across. But as I mentioned in the headlines, Juliana's joined us as well nice and early. Nice to see you. Great to see you. Yeah, cast of thousands this morning compared to where we have been of late. <laughs> We've gone from a drought to a flood. But what about these numbers? Do you know this is a really complicated company for me, like a lot of them. They've got a big exposure to certain parts of the COVID spectrum. And yet, of course, all their other drugs will have the same problems that we saw with Vaznarosim yesterday. If only we had an ex-chemicals analyst on the set. <laughs> oh, we have. Well, an ex-chemicals, I will do my best to break down these Roche numbers. I think what is interesting is we are seeing some parts of their business thrive and other parts of their business suffer as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The first thing that sticks out to me from these numbers, outlook for 2020 confirmed. And then in their diagnostics division, this is interesting from a COVID perspective because they were first out the gate with an antigen test, test in China. We know they've got an antibody test as well. Their diagnostics division sales grew 3% with COVID testing the main contributor routine testing declined as the COVID-19 caused delays of patients visiting physicians. So that was a dynamic that investors were looking out for today. And, and then in terms of the overall impact from COVID, they say based on their current assessment of the COVID impact, sales are expected to grow in low to mid single digit range at constant exchange rates. But interestingly, they're also, also noting that they are seeing sales recover from June. So they're already seeing a little bit 
bit of a bounce back despite the impact that they've seen from COVID-19. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm confused. I don't know about that, Jeff, as well. But I, as soon as Boris Johnson got up on the spectrum and say, if we have a good antibody test, it will be a game changer. So we waited for a good antibody test. And then two came along in about the same week, one from Abbott uh, and ahead of that one from Roche as well. So great. We've got something that's got good efficacy as well. Uh, very positive as well. Uh, and then I've heard nothing about it since hardly. In fact, my friends in the NHS of which I have several, so yeah, they've actually struggled to get their antibody test because there's been a bit of a backlog in the UK. So I have two issues with this. One, uh, are these the game changers that the Prime Minister promised? Because it appears not. Uh, and two, why the delay in getting these out to the population, given that Severin Schwann told us there were loads available as well? Jeff, I don't know if I'm concentrating on too much on one issue and there's other points you want to raise. Good morning to you, by the way. Yeah, very good morning. It was nice to be with you this morning in spite of some of the technical issues we had over the last 24 hours, Steve. But good to be back on the programme. Let me just pick up on that because I, I think this is a fascinating issue for a couple of reasons. And I'm hoping that uh, Juliana, who probably has a better science background than the both of us, can help explain this because it does seem that there's been the policy snafu around, you know, do we want to antibody test or not? How many kits are we going to buy? The government sort of panicked to buy, what was it, 13 million uh, pounds worth of kits. And then subsequently, we seem to have seen the testing regime and the rigour slacken here. So that there's been the public policy issue, as you've pointed out. But there's also been the issue around the science, which I quite frankly, I'm not qualified to, to talk about too much, but it comes back to this question of T-cells and what we're all learning about the memory of the uh, immunity system in the body and whether it is important that there, the um, trace of antibodies uh, should be around in the bloodstream for longer than they appear to be, because that seems to be the other part to the success or otherwise of the sales of these antibody tests. If the virus is behaving in such a way that we see the antibodies fade in the bloodstream very quickly, what value does that blood test have if it comes after you know, several weeks since the patient already recovered from coronavirus. Juliana, I wonder, is this beginning to undermine the economic case for the tests themselves? Well, Jeff, it's a really important point that I think um, researchers are testing uh, every day. This uh, the, the twofold immune response here, the antibody generation and the T-cell uh, generation. And as you mentioned, Roche straight out the gate with this antibody test, but it hasn't proved to be the game changer that it was touted to be, as Steve mentioned at the outset. Now, Roche mentioning today that they've increased massively their production uh, capability for COVID-19 testing. But I think one of the key questions is, is there scope to uh, produce a test to detect these uh, T-cells? It's a much more complex part of the immune response, so it may not be as easy as testing for antibodies. But we will take this up when we speak to Severin Spahn later on this morning. Um they have a very strong oncology franchise, don't they, over at Roche? And that's what I mean. I, I'm going to say this, and I know that people get very upset when you say this, but there are diseases out there which are potentially preventable and are deadly and kill many more people every single year than have so far died from COVID-19. I know we're not allowed to compare, but I'm doing it anyway and I'll get in trouble with lots of COVID-19 lobbyists, what have you. But the fact of the matter is, there are some serious diseases out there of which Roche and others are making great inroads as well. 
Have we neglected these stunningly serious diseases which kill mankind and womankind on a daily basis in far greater numbers than COVID-19? That well, is my question. Roche is a leader in oncology, which means that so many of their uh, therapies require high frequency of treatments. It requires patients to go to infusion centers and hospitals. And these large oncology franchises are likely to have taken a significant hit. And that is another important question in these June recoveries that Roche today is noting they're seeing. Are they seeing patients return for uh, not only screening, but also treatments of these various cancers that Roche is very active in treating? So that's going to be one of the big topics I think we discuss uh, as well later this morning. Uh, cancer is the leading cause of death worldwide, accounting for an estimated 9.6 million deaths in 2018. 9.6 million deaths. Now, I know some of those are hereditary and unpreventable, what have you, but there is a lot of progress we can make in whole areas of this horrendous disease as well. So just putting it in context with what we're seeing in COVID as well. Right, um, ebullience in Tesla, gloom and doom elsewhere in the sector, if you had to put a headline out there as well. Um, Daimler, one of the biggest and most important auto manufacturers on the planet still as well, still very concerned about what's going on. Uh, they are saying that the worldwide effects of the pandemic led to a significant decrease in earnings at Mercedes-Benz cars and vans, Daimler trucks and buses, and Daimler mobility. Implemented cost-cutting measures countered the negative effects on this one. So uh, Annette's good, I hear. Excellent, which well, is always good, that's for sure. Um, Annette, um, I've just taken the first headline. I don't know if you've seen the rest of them, but there's a lot in there as well. Uh, what do you want to unpack for us? Good morning. Well, actually, we did know already that the industrial cash flow was astonishingly strong for the second quarter with like 685 million euro. Um, analysts had expected that Daimler Post is posting a much bigger loss. But I think it's all about the outlook today. And the outlook seems to be at least uh, tentatively optimistic for the uh, top-end cars of Mercedes. They are already seeing strong demand in June for their top-end models. And that's interesting because apparently that's also the strategy the uh, CEO who's there since a year um, replacing the, like, I don't know, CEO for decades, Dieter Zetscher, um, he has a new strategy and he wants to concentrate exactly on that top-end notch car segment uh, in which Daimler obviously is operating with some models, but they have a lot of other models which are like middle class. And um, apparently um, he wants to focus on the top end because the margins are higher. But of course, that also means that they're going to produce less cars uh, on average. And that also means that they have to cut a lot of uh, jobs. And that's another part of the story. We are not hearing from them that uh, today, but for example, Manager Magazine is reporting that they are planning on cutting as much as 30,000 jobs worldwide in a move to restructure the company. Because clearly what we know is that as it stands now, Daimler has to do a lot of things in restructuring. It's not only because of coronavirus. They had a lot of problems already before, but they're addressing it now um, yet yeah, more forcefully, I would say, because of the corona crisis. So what um, we know so far is that they are saying that according to their current assessment, for example, the major truck markets will not develop very um will develop very unfavorably they say so the truck market will remain a problem but the mercedes car segment the top end car segment seems to 
have some positive uh, perspective, especially also the electrified vehicles in the top at notch, where they, of course, have a lot of competition from Tesla, but apparently demand for exactly that type of vehicle is doing very well. Steve, with that, back to Excellent. you. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, I noticed Citigroup just raising their price target on Daimler to 44 euros from 25. That's a hell of a jump, isn't it? Hey, Jeff, I've got news. There's a company, and I, I can't blooming find the name of the company anywhere, but it's just made $104 million in the quarter, yeah? Amazing company. It's just made $104 million in the quarter. Do you want to pay $300 billion for it? I think you're taking me down a path, aren't you? Um, I guess we better talk a, a little bit about Tesla, hadn't we? The, um, the, the company uh, seeing its shares jump in extended trading uh, after the carmaker uh, reporting then a fourth consecutive quarterly profit. And that is important because the first full year of profitability means the stock is now eligible to be included in the S&P 500. Tesla beat expectations on the top and bottom line. As strong deliveries and cost cutting helped it offset factory closures. Revenue topped $6 billion, boosted by the sale of some of its zero emission credits to other automakers. CEO Elon Musk telling analysts he is focused on growth and making his cars cheaper. We need to, you know, not go bankrupt. Obviously, that's important because that will fail in our mission. Um, but we're not trying to be super profitable either. Obviously, we're like, you know, profitability is like 1% or something, you know, this 1% or 2%. It's not, it's not crazy. Um, last quarter was only 0.1%. So we want to be profitable. Like, I think just we want to be like slightly profitable and maximize growth and make the cars as affordable as possible. That's like what, what we're trying to achieve. Elon Musk there. Uh, well, let's move on to Microsoft because we also got numbers uh, from the uh, uh, the software company. The shares, though, fell in after-hours trading. The tech giant saw growth in its Azure cloud business slow to 47% in the fourth quarter, falling below 50% for the first time. The Satya Nadella-led company beat estimates on the top and bottom line as the work-from-home trend boosted the results. But the negative COVID impact was evident in other divisions with SMEs cutting back on technology spending, while the Bing search engine saw a fall in ads. Microsoft also gave lower-than-expected revenue guidance for the first quarter. Well, uh, Paddy Flood is Global Sector Specialist for Technology at Schroders and joins us now to talk some more about the market reaction and the numbers. Paddy, good morning to you. And, and just on the uh, cloud story, because the decline in the share price after hours seemed to be very much about the disappointment around Azure. Good morning. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's very fair. So, Azure did slow for the previous quarter, and, and as you say, this is probably why the share is down. But we have to remember it was still a very respectable number, and it grew up a very tough comp from the previous year. And, and I think whilst there are some really strong tailwinds behind the business, it won't be immune from a weaker macro environment, especially as the sort of initial reaction we spend to COVID abates. Um, however, Microsoft is still amazingly, amazingly well-placed to capitalize on, on growth of cloud computing versus peers. And, and a bit of quarterly volatility along the way shouldn't really derail the, 
the growth trajectory of Asia in the long term. But is the outlook good enough for the 31% or so year-to-date gain that we've seen in the share price? Because I know that as we focus on the COVID effect, there are those who are beginning to wonder whether working from home is going to be a bit of a cliff edge when ultimately a vaccine or or some form of treatment to ameliorate the symptoms is actually uh, brought to market. So, so I think that number is, and, and I wouldn't really see for a year anyway as, as COVID uh, te- sort of abating as being a cliff edge for the business. Um, cloud computing in its own right brings a lot of benefits to businesses in terms of reliability, scalability, and flexibility, and, and COVID has helped accelerate those trends, but they were still there beforehand. So I think cloud will continue to grow even if some of those, those tailwinds do abate. What does that then mean for um, some of the other businesses that have been beneficiaries of working from home, like the Windows operation or the gaming side of uh, Microsoft? Yeah, so so Windows, again, as you, as you mentioned, was strong, and, and that was partly due to work from home, but also partly due to some normalization of the supply chain issues they had in the first, the, the, the first quarter of this year. Um, that will likely slow somewhat as a sort of initial reactionary demand comes off. Um, gaming's probably a bit more nuanced as, as they've got the Xbox release coming up, which should help drive demand. But, but again, the sort of amazingly high growth rates we've seen out of those, those two businesses aren't really going to be as sustainable, um, given, given the, the, given that COVID will have tailwinds will abate somewhat. Um, Paddy, we have to pay 33 times forward for this stock now, a stock that I remember when we could pay low uh, mid-teens or kind of 13, 15 times for it not so long ago. In fact, in 2015, it was worth a fifth of what it's current worth. It is clearly a very good company doing very good things as well. Do you have concerns about the concentration of ownership amongst a great swathe of especially U.S. investors in this and a couple of other stocks? So, so I don't think so. And, and, and around the sort of valuation point, that's, that's still a fairly attractive number for what is a business that this year grew top line around 14% and did expand margins as well. And, and they do have a lot of different growth drivers across the business as we kind of covered this year, longer term, Office 365 and some other businesses too. So I think the sort of valuation angle and the ownership angle isn't something I'm particularly worried about here. Um, what are they going to do with their free cash flow? That's, that's, a, that's a very good question. Um, so obviously, very strong balance sheets um, have a bit of a, a checkered pass when it comes to acquisitions, as, as some people know. Um, it's, it's very hard to predict what they'll go do going forward with that, to be honest. Um, but we'll, we'll have continued sort of shareholder returns, which will sort of augment the return we can expect. And Paddy, just to to round out the sector, um, the Nasdaq uh, seems to have run into a a little bit of turbulence near term here, um, and potentially we might see a bit of sideways tracking. What does that tell us, if anything, about A, valuations, or B, shifting market sentiment around the tech stocks? Yeah, that's true. Um, And we've, we've had a very strong performance here today, so it's got to be taken in that context. I think it'll be really interesting to see how the results season emerges, as there are definitely some names that have, have run up amazingly well this year and, and are starting to look a bit extended in terms of valuation. Um, but there are equally some companies, and I think Microsoft fits this bucket, 
whereby the valuation is, is pretty attractive, growth continues to be good in spite of everything that's going on, and, and the balance sheets are, are strong and valuations are more palatable. So I think um, there will be opportunities that emerge um, going forward. Uh, we're going to leave it there, Paddy. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Uh, Paddy Flood, Global Sector Specialists for Technology over at Schroders. And our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to the Twitter CFO, Ned Siegel. That's after the social media giant posts its second quarter numbers. That will be at 14.45, first on interview, uh, CET today. Uh, plus, other guests on this program, we are going to be speaking to a range of CEOs as earnings season continues to... Uh, to be incredibly busy, including today, the bosses of Roche, uh, the aforementioned, Skanska and Unilever as well. So we've got a, a really, really good smashing of corporate Europe for you today. Uh, and I'm told the podcast is absolutely vintage. Um, it's got big earnings. It's got Juliana on Roche. It's got Jeff from uh, somewhere in Middle England. All kinds of things going on there. You don't want to miss that one. I like my new shot to break. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Can anyone argue with the following? Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon expects the U.S. economy to be in for a, quote, very, very bumpy ride. He told a conference in New York the U.S. may have a high unemployment rate for a long period of time. The Wall Street boss added that markets are, quote, disconnected from the economic reality and propped up by central bank stimulus. Seriously, can any of you argue with that? I'm not arguing. I argue with anything, but I'm not arguing with that. Uh, billionaire investor Bill Ackman has told CNBC he is bullish on the long-term outlook for the U.S. economy and markets, but cautious about the near term. Uh, the Pershing Square, the Pershing Square, uh, added that he is betting. Okay, I think he's the boss. Uh, betting against highly indebted companies, which could buckle if the reopening of the economy is delayed. I am cautious on markets over the next period of time, and uh, we we have today a, a you know a short position in a high yield index. Uh, we are bearish on highly levered companies. To some extent, I view that as a, a hedge. I don't know whether we make money on it or not, uh, but the highly levered businesses will struggle because it's going to take time for the economy to reopen. Um, but we are about 80%, uh, we've about 20% cash in our publicly traded entity, and we are approximately 98% long. So the, the entity itself is leveraged. Can't promise, but I'll do my best not to mention the vicious rotation we're seeing on a daily basis. This time, well, two of the sectors you probably wouldn't have thought of. Energy was down 1.3, utilities up 1.5. So again, a 2.8% difference between the best performing and the worst performing sectors. Week to date, the markets are looking uh, pretty ebullient. The Nasdaq's up 1.9%. The Dow uh, is at 1.3%, which was boosted yesterday by McDonald's, of all things, up 39 points. And Pfizer. Should have a look at Pfizer? Let's have a look at Pfizer shares, because Pfizer and BioNTech... BioNTech, I don't know, one or the other, 13.7% higher for BioNTech. Pfizer was up 5.1%. It's a very uh, familiar story. Uh, the US is hoping that their COVID-19 vaccine works. And in lieu of that, they spent $1.95 billion. 
uh, picking up 100 million doses. There you go. It's a very succinct story as well. But you can see the performance of BioNTech on the hopes for this drug as well. 207% higher year to date. Do you want to look at the dollar crosses? There's a lot of rhetoric around about the dollar and about the euro, isn't it? Goodness me. It is extraordinary, the herding. A lot of investors, let's forget about the tech investors, the herding of economists uh, and strategists who are now saying, oh, dollar, a little bit worried about that. Euro, we love it. Okay, I'm hearing that all the time. And as such, look at that, the euro on uh, a trajectory north from its 106 lows at the height of the crisis. We're still at the height of the crisis in many parts of the world, I should hasten to add. 115.84, should we call it 116, got to take the change? Even the pound, I mean, did you see the FTSE yesterday? Oh my goodness me, continual underperformance if you own the FTSE in your local currency pension plan. I didn't choose it, by the way, it's not managed by me, it is just there. <laughs> 127.43 anyway. So despite the fact that we're going to get an announcement today from the likes of Barnier, from the likes of Frost, uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to say, yeah, we're slightly worried about these talks. Now, maybe that's all just rhetoric. They haven't broken down is what I understand, but there's certainly no breakthrough. I did pil- pilch that line from somewhere else. I can't remember where. Apologies to whoever did say that. Uh, 107.17, the dollar versus the uh, Japanese yen. Talking of the Japanese yen, do you want to look at the Asian markets? It's ex-Nikkei today. Do you know why? Because the Japanese, I've got to say, have the best-named holidays on the planet. Uh, Ocean Day, Marine Day, Sea Day, where basically they celebrate on the third Monday of July the fruits and benefits and the economy of maritime Japan. I know what you're saying. It's not the third Monday of July. Well, hang on a second. They changed it. They changed Ocean Day to the Thursday the 23rd uh, because of the Olympics which are delayed. There you go. Anyway, so if you're having an ocean day, and it's a brilliant holiday. I mean, I digress, but it's a brilliant holiday. What you're supposed to do is do sea-based activities today, including snorkeling. I can't leave anything better to do on a, uh, on a national holiday. Anyway, if you are in Japan and you're watching, have a great ocean marine or sea day indeed as well. All right, the ASX 200 is up three tenths of 1%. The Kospi in South Korea down four tenths of 1%. Uh, Shanghai Compass, they've moved it. it, used to be over here, uh, is down 1.04%. That's where the Nikkei normally is. You've moved it. Uh, down a percent at the moment on the Shanghai Composite. Concern about what's going on uh, in uh, the relations between the US, of course, and China as well. And I have to say, when I first started seeing the flashes about this Houston consulate yesterday, I didn't know the significance, so I didn't go there as well. Now it looks like it's looking more and more significant as well uh, with the US being given or given the Chinese uh, 72 hours uh, to basically shut down that consulate. There are others, of course, in the United States. Opening calls for European markets. I've just seen the spread better saying they're higher, but yeah, I suppose they are. Right, okay. One point up for the FTSE. We'll take that. Cetradax, uh, 36 points to the good. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.